Well, let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles, please, to Exodus chapter 34. And if you're making notes, the title of this message is A Lesson from a Shining Face. We are presently in a series on the book of Exodus. We actually have only two messages left, which is quite amazing when we've done about 60 so far. And we've been following the story of Israel and how Israel and the people of God have been drawn out to be drawn in. Already, as we catch up with them in this story so far, they have been well and truly drawn out. They are no longer in bondage to slavery and in chains in Egypt. They have been drawn out of that slavery and are being drawn into the presence of God and understanding what it means for Him to be their God and they to be His people. And as we check back on in the story in Exodus chapter 34, we see a moment where Moses is once again coming down from the mountain. He has been up the mountain for the last 40 days and 40 nights, receiving a second set of the Ten Commandments. You remember the first time he came down with the Ten Commandments, and the people of God had already built a golden calf and were worshipping it and dancing around it. And so in righteous anger, Moses threw them to the floor and broke them. Well, now he has gone up for a second time. God is giving him a second set And as he comes down from the mountain, this is then what we read in verses 29 through to the end of verse 35. This is the word of the Lord. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, The skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. But Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, He would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Let's pray. Lord, would you bless the preaching of the word this morning? Lord, with so many things going on in our lives, with so many things going on in our minds, would you still our souls now that we may behold the preaching of your word? Holy Spirit, would you do what no preacher can? Would you be present in the hearts of your people? Bring hope where there is no hope. Bring grace where there is uncertainty. Bring stability where there is nervousness. Bring glory to all. In your precious name, amen. You know, in all honesty, it's so much easier than we think for people to know where we've been. You know, if you have a dog like me, the dog will go out at different times into your garden. They will dig things up. They're looking for bones. Who knows what's going on? They're digging up plants. They're eating mushrooms. You never know what's quite going on. But then what they do is they come into your house. And what do they do? They leave muddy paw prints all over your house. 
And when you then find them in the act, you look straight in their faces and you let them know that this is wrong. But they look back at you as if to say, what? I haven't done anything. I've been nowhere. But you know exactly where they've been because of the mud that is on your floor. It is easier than we think for people to know where we've been. What about that bar of chocolate that you've been saving for a special event like COVID-19, for example, and you get it out the cupboard or you go to get it out the cupboard and you find it is gone. No one seems to know where it is. No child is taking responsibility. And then one small child with blue eyes and blonde hair comes from around the pantry with chocolate dripping down her face and chocolate in her teeth and tells you through this chocolate, wasn't me. Well, obviously it was them. Because it's much easier than we think to know where people have been. Or the friend comes over your house and they're dressed well, they're looking good. But as you go in to hug them, I mean, already, just both of those things. Hugging people, do you remember that? It was like 2019. And, and having people over your house, I think that was 2019, it was amazing. But they come over your house and you, you go to embrace them and they're looking fine, they're dressed in their finest. But you can tell, you can tell that they've been to the gym. And how can you tell by the bit of the gym? Because as you go for an embrace, there is, a, there is an aroma around their body which makes it clear that they have been to the gym. It is far easier than we think for people to know where we've been. Without doubt, that includes the presence of God as well. It is easier than we think for people to tell when we have been spending time with God, when we have been sitting at the feet of Jesus, when we have been marveling in the glory of who he is, and indeed, when we haven't. And what we have here then before us today in this chapter at the end of 34 is a wonderful lesson from a shining face. A wonderful lesson from a face that has been with God himself for the last 40 days and 40 nights. Now, from the outset, I want you to know that I'm not suggesting from this text, and never will be suggesting from this text, that when we spend time with the Lord, our faces will glow like Moses. I think that is highly unlikely and not what the text is all about. But what I am suggesting is that what we have here through Moses is a wonderful lesson and a lesson which teaches us something glorious about where we've been. See, what it teaches us in a nutshell is simply this, that we always become like what we behold. For each and every one of us, we always become like what we behold. Whatever it is that we're looking at, Whatever it is that we're gazing at, whatever it is we're thinking about and meditating on the most, whatever it is that we're spending most of our time engaging with and staring at, that is what we will become like. Whatever we behold is what we will become. You know, this text, I think, is always applicable to our lives. But I cannot help but see the links between now and this text, this COVID crisis and this text. Because even in the midst of this crisis, whatever it is that we're spending most of the time thinking about and looking at and engaging with and being informed by, that's what we'll become. That's what will define us. That's what we will become like. Wonderful lesson then before our eyes. A wonderful lesson from a shining face. And I have three points to help us unpack it. 
Number one, the lesson revealed. Number two, the lesson re-emphasized. And then number three, the lesson applied. As with all scripture, it is not just there for us to look at and behold. There is clear application attached to this. And it's application that, quite frankly, can change our lives. Why? Because we always become like what we behold. Point one, the lesson revealed. You know, on the face of it, it seems that this text is very straightforward. Moses has come down from Mount Sinai to give Israel God's law. He's come down with two tablets. Now, if you've seen the movie, The Ten Commandments, Charles Heston, with him coming down the mountain, you often see that these Ten Commandments, uh, these tablets just have the Ten Commandments on sort of the two sides. So on one tablet, you have one to five, and on the other tablet, you have six through ten. Actually, that's very, very unlikely. In this season of time, when you were making a covenant and it was on stone, both tablets actually said exactly the same thing. One was for the people, one was for God. And then they put together, both coinciding to understand, this is what we're committing to, both sides of our covenant. Both of these tablets were most likely identical pieces. And although Moses is completely unaware of it, as he comes down from Mount Sinai, having encountered God for 40 days and 40 nights, his face is a glow. His face is shining before the people. His face is radiant because he has been with the Lord himself. And although he is completely unaware that his face is shining, Aaron and the people of God, as they see Moses coming towards him, them are painfully aware of it, so much so that they are afraid and they don't want to draw near to him. It says there in verse 30, Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near. So they were. Moses didn't see this coming. He hasn't seen his face, but they were very aware. Philip Ryken in his commentary says it this way. He says, all the people could see was the afterglow of the reflection of God's glory in the face of a mortal man. And in Aaron's case, the man was his own little brother. Yet the transformation was so dramatic, the light was so dazzling, that they pulled away in fear, like rabbits scampering away from the headlights of an oncoming car. And so they did. They see Moses coming towards them. His face is a glow and they scamper away like rabbits from headlights from a car. They are afraid of Moses and what they are seeing in his face. On the face of it, this story seems very straightforward. But it's when you take a second look that you actually realize there's a lot of things in this text that we don't exactly understand and we don't exactly know in specifics. For example... We don't know exactly what this shining was like. We do know there was shining. I mean, in verse 29, it says, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone. Verse 30, the skin of his face shone. Verse 35, the skin of Moses' face was shining. It is obvious to all that his face was indeed shining. It was indeed a glow. But we don't exactly know what that shining was like. See, it was understood, particularly in the early centuries, that the Hebrew word there, Koran, simply meant horns. 
And so in the original Hebrew, you see, you read that the skin of his face sent out horns. And so in the 4th century Vulgate, for example, the early translations of the Bible, Moses is actually described as having horns. And so if you look at medieval pictures of Moses, or indeed you look at Michelangelo's picture of Moses, you see Moses with horns coming out of his head. Well, that's obviously quite disturbing, but it's actually taken from this text. But it's actually a misunderstanding of the Hebrew word, because the actual Hebrew expression, which it, go, it went on to understand in scholarly work, it actually, actually means the skin of his face sent out horns or rays of light. It was actually light that was coming from his face. But what was that like? Well, we're not, we're not exactly sure. Was it like a halo of glory going on around his head and face? Or, or was it simply beams of light, horns or beams of light coming from his face? Or was it like a lightning show or a strobe show as he came down from heaven, all coming from his face? No one knows. We know his face was shining, but we're not sure exactly what it was like at all. But whatever was going on with his face, he puts a veil over it. But again, we don't really know what this veil was. Is it like a big mask? Is it like a half mask? Does he look like Zorro coming down from the mountain? Is this a sheer piece of fabric, like a bridal veil? Is this a cloak that he simply pulls across his face at different times? It's hard to tell. This is the only time in the Bible that you see a man wearing a veil. Women wore veils, men don't wear veils. And so this is the only time you see a man wearing a veil. And that's why it's so hard to tell what exactly the veil is. Moses' face is shining. He puts a veil over his face, but we're not exactly sure what that veil would look like. To be quite frank, we don't really know why he wore it. I mean, was it out of courtesy? Was it because people were afraid? But did they go on being afraid again and again and again, so he had to keep covering up in case they still got scared? Or, or was it out of timidity? Was he timid in what was he doing? Was he somehow embarrassed? I mean, think about it. How awkward would it be? Every time you encounter God, your face starts shining. Horns of light are coming from your face. Imagine you come back into the camp. Think about the kids. Oh, Mom, it's him. Ah, come away, son. You know, I, what was going on? No one really knows. So was he embarrassed? Was he Timid? Paul certainly seems to think that in the New Testament that this might have been timidity. Or was it out of humility? Did he simply not want to show off? Did he not want to draw attention to the reality that he had encountered God again? Or was it all three? We're not really sure. Likewise, we don't really know how long he wore it for. I mean, this passage, as you read from verse 29 through to 35, seems to suggest that he starts wearing this veil all the time. And so when he goes to spend time with the Lord, he takes it off and encounters him face to face. But as soon as he comes out the presence of God, he, he puts it back on again. But is that what he actually does for the next 40 years? Moses has got 40 years of ministry left. Was he doing that for 40 years? Because it's never mentioned again. This veil is never talked of ever again. Maybe this was just a short-lived thing. Or maybe the shining just stopped very quickly and so it wasn't needed to be used in the same way. Or maybe it became no longer relevant when the tabernacle was actually built. And so between the holy place and the holy of holies, there was now a thick veil between the two. And so maybe Moses no needed to use it anymore once the veil was in place. 
Victor Hamilton, in his commentary, actually leans to that interpretation. He says, The veiling of Moses takes place while he and Israel are still at Sinai. The veil that prevents anybody from gazing on Moses seems to then be replaced by the veil that separates the holy place from the holiest place, lest anyone gaze at the Holy One himself. But then he goes on to say, but actually, we're not really too sure. There are so many things about this text in details that we don't exactly know, that are not clear, but here's what is clear. Here is what is crystal clear. Moses has been with God and it showed. Moses encountered God and there was no hiding it. Moses himself had been with the great I Am. Moses himself for 40 days and 40 nights sustained by God through this incredible fast. Moses has been with the great I Am. He's been with the one who is greater than nature. Who can hold all the hollow the waters of the earth in the hollow of his hand. Who can mark off the heavens with a span of his hand. Who can take all the great the great mountain ranges of the world and have them like on dust on his scales. He's been encountering the one who's greater than the nations. We're all like grasshoppers compared to this King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he has been with the one who stands gloriously and wonderfully alone. Alone in his majesty, alone in his sovereignty, alone in his goodness and grace and unchangeableness and mercy and knowledge and wisdom. Moses has been face to face with his King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And it is obvious. Moses has been with God and it showed. See, make no mistake. This was an important moment in the life and leadership of Moses. And in particular, it was a particularly important moment in the life and leadership of him as he seeks to lead the people of God. See, if you remember the last time Moses went up the mountain and came down with tablets, it didn't go so well. The people had already left him. They'd already thought that maybe God had changed his mind, that maybe Moses had changed his mind, maybe he's died. In Exodus chapter 32, verse 1, It says, as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Moses, the first time he goes up the the mountain to get the tablets, their conclusion is he's gone. He's left us. He's moved on. There's been a change of plan. So I know. Um, Who's got earrings? Oh, I know. Let's build a calf and let's worship him instead. Moses is gone. He's old news. But this time, when Moses comes down the mountain, His face is a glow. He returns with a glow about his face. And that would without doubt reestablish and reconfirm to them that he was indeed the Lord's man. He was indeed the one who was chosen to lead them. Not just out, but in and ongoingly. This was clearly the man that God had set aside to lead his people. And everybody knew it. His face was a glow. It was obvious something dramatic was happening in his life. Moses had been with God and it showed. And my friends, quite frankly, I want to let you know. As we too spend time with God, 
it too will show. Now without doubt, our our faces are unlikely to be glowing like Moses' did. It is unlikely that when we spend time with God, we will begin to glow. But I submit to you, it will still nonetheless be obvious to others when we're spending time with the Lord and when we are not. And brothers and sisters, I want you to know, they are not my musings or assumptions or thinkings as a pastor and as a preacher. They are the musings and teachings of the Apostle Paul himself. Because the Apostle Paul makes it clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that we become like what we behold. When we spend time looking at something, we will become like it. Why don't you go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It's a section in the scriptures where Paul indeed takes a time to unpack this incident of Moses and the shining face and reinterpret it and re-emphasize it for us. So that's my point two. Number two, the lesson re-emphasized. Re-emphasized by the Apostle Paul himself. You see, the glory that Moses saw was indeed a great glory. The glory that Moses saw and exhibited as he encountered the great I Am was a wonderful, incredible glory. And yet, the glory that we now get to see is even greater. So there's a great and a greater? Yep. And Moses saw the great. But you and I can see the greater. Kevin DeYoung puts it this way. He says, we're all tempted to think, okay, I want to be with the Lord, but people aren't going to be able to tell. I don't have this miraculous glow. I don't get, up to, don't get to go up to Mount Sinai. I don't get the cloud. But the New Testament teaches that if we know Jesus, you have witnessed more glory than Moses ever saw. For you and I are in a privileged position A privileged position even more than Moses. My friends, what he saw in the glory of the Lord is great. But the glory that you and I now get to see in the face of Jesus Christ is even greater. The glory he saw, wow, it'd be incredible. But the glory you and I get to see, Paul wants us to know it's even greater. And that's what he talks to us about in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. But this is the moment in the Bible when Paul deals at length with the narrative of Moses and his face, and where in turn he employs three lesser to greater arguments, foratoria arguments, where you take something that is less and you say, listen, if, if this was the case, then how much more is this the case? And he does it three times. And you need to listen in and pay attention to it because it isn't easy to grasp. There's complexities in it. But what Paul is saying each and every time is if this was true for Moses, then how much more is this true for us? If this is what Moses saw and that was truly great, then how much greater is what we now see? This is what he says then in 2 Corinthians 3. Verses 7 to 8, it's the first one of the lesser to greater arguments. In 2 Corinthians 3 verse 7, he says, Now if the ministry of death, carved out in letters of stone, 
came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? His premise is, listen, if the ministry of the law of Moses, which was on stone, came with such glory that Moses' face shone as as he was around it, then how much more will we, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, will his ministry come with glory? This isn't a ministry of stone. This is a ministry of the Spirit. This isn't the ministry built on stones. This is a ministry of the Spirit that will be written in hearts. If so much glory came through these stones, or in and around these stones, that Moses' face shone, then how much more glorious is what we now see through the work of the Holy Spirit? He then continues the same thing, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. He says, for if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. He talks then about a ministry of condemnation and then a ministry of righteousness. See, here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, the Ten Commandments, they are good, they are holy, they are righteous, but they do not have in and of themselves the power to save anyone. They don't have the power to justify anyone. They are without doubt God's good and gracious path of life. Wonderful gifts of grace. Wonderful gifts to the believer to help us see how it can go well for us. Wonderful gifts of His mercy to us. But in all reality, they have no ability in and of themselves to save us or justify us. No, in fact, in all reality, the closer you get to the law, the more you realize, I cannot keep it. I struggle to do these things. That's why he calls the law the ministry of condemnation. He's saying here, you know, he's talking about what he's talking about in Romans 7. Why is it, as I examine the law of Moses, the law of the Lord, this gracious path of life, why is it that whenever I try and do it, I simply can't do it? And when I don't try and do it, but really want to, I struggle to actually make it happen. Oh, wretched man that I am. He's saying, this is so hard. And the more I understand what God has called me to, the more I realize how much I suck at it. How much I struggle to make this happen. How much I struggle to actually follow it. The ministry of condemnation, he says, is the law. And what Paul wants us to see is if this ministry of condemnation came with such glory that Moses' face shone as he held it, then how much more glory will come through this ministry of righteousness? How much more will the ministry of righteousness shine with glory? You see, my friends, make no mistake, what he is pointing us to there is the ministry of Jesus Christ himself. The ministry of the one who alone can bring righteousness. The one who alone can indeed look at those tablets of stone and fulfill them in absolute full. The one who alone became flesh and tabernacled among us. The one who alone in which the fullness of God dwelt bodily and the one who alone gave his life as a ransom for many 
For through the gift of the Holy Spirit, our faces have been unveiled to behold the goodness and glory of Jesus Christ and His ministry of righteousness. That's what Paul's saying is, listen, if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, then how much more glory must there be in the ministry of righteousness? For what Moses must have seen was great. It was exhibited in his face. But how much more glory do we now get to see through the finished work of Jesus Christ? And then he tells us in verse 11, chapter 2, sorry, chapter 3, verse 11. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, how much more will what is permanent have glory? I love that. But Moses' face would fade. Moses would die. His face would not be a lasting symbol for all human history. It would indeed come to an end. It would stop glowing. But the glowing reign of Jesus Christ himself will never end. The glowing reign of King Jesus will not Come to an end. The one who was and is and always will be. He is now seated at the right hand of God. When he declared it is finished. It certainly was finished. The work of Jesus Christ in our place. The moment where he gave his life as a ransom for many. Is eternal. It is ongoing. And through the gift of the Holy Spirit. The veil has been taken from our faces. So we can see it. Moses didn't see the half. But what Paul wants to help us see is that you and I do. Through the gift of the Holy Spirit, we who were once dead, we who were once blind, can now see. Through the gift of the Holy Spirit, a veil has been pulled from our eyes. The scales have fallen. Our eyes have been opened so that we can now behold the glories of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. A ministry which was not temporary, but a ministry which is eternal. For our King has come. He became flesh and tabernacled among us. He dwelt in the fullness of God bodily, and he gave his life as a ransom for many. And though in the here and now I effectively preach to an empty room, I thank God that that tomb, after three days of death, was empty as well. For he rose again. He rose again victorious. And his kingdom is reigning and always will be. Paul tours us through three different things, three different arguments from the lesser to the greater. And here's the punchline. It's beautiful. He effectively says in verses 17 and 18, as you behold him, you will become like him. This is what he says, verse 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. He wants to help us see, listen, 
As you now gaze at Jesus Christ, as you gaze at the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, you are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. Why? Because you become like that which you behold. And so if you look at Jesus, you will become like him. For we are all with unveiled face. How did that happen? It's the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit who opens our eyes to behold the glories of the Lamb. And having now done that, He lives in our heart. And as we continue to look at the Lord with unveiled face, we are being transformed. Transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Number three then. Just to close, the lesson applied. Because there is application here for us. See, in this time of COVID-19, we are all faced with many needs, aren't we? Many pressures, many concerns, many burdens, many challenges, many needs. And yet, my friends, I submit to you, with every breath I have, Our greatest need in our lives right now is to be beholding the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. The main thing we all need in this season and beyond, our primary need is not toilet paper. Our primary need, our primary need is to behold the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because we always become like what we behold. If you're struggling with hope, then look to Christ. If you're struggling with grace to know how am I going to get through another day, then look to Christ. If you're struggling to be merciful to those around you, look to Christ. Kevin DeYoung says it this way wonderfully. He says, if you want to be more merciful, then look upon Jesus, who cried out at the cross, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. If you want to be more loving, then look upon Jesus, who ate with sinners and welcomed repentant prostitutes and tax collectors into the kingdom. If you want to be purer, then look upon Jesus, whose eyes are like flames of fire, And whose feet are like burnished bronze. If you want more courage in the face of lies and injustice, then look upon Jesus, who drove out the money changers with a whip. If you want to be stronger in the midst of suffering, then look upon Jesus, who did not revile when reviled and submitted himself wholly to the will of the Father. If you want to grow in grace, Then look upon Jesus, who reinstated Peter after he denied him three times. If you want more tenderness in your life, then look upon Jesus, who took the little children in his arms and blessed them. If you want to display all of the diverse excellencies of God, then look upon Jesus, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. My friends, in this season, if you want to Grow in mercy. You want to grow in love and in purity, in courage. 
If you want to grow in strength in the midst of suffering and grace and tenderness, then look to Jesus. Turn your eyes to Jesus. Why? Because you'll become like what you behold. Whatever it is that you stop and stare at, ultimately, that's what you'll become like. My friends, I want to encourage you then. This change takes time. All change takes time. To become more like Christ in his character always takes time. That's why Paul himself says, it says we gaze at his glory, that we gaze at him, we are being changed from one degree of glory to another. One degree. It's not 180 degrees all in a day. It's just one degree. We just keep looking and we're being changed. It's real slow. But you're changing. It takes time to change. It takes time as you stare at the Lord. But I want to encourage you. Change you will. And so brothers and sisters, I urge you then. Find time. Daily. To behold the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no need that you have in your life. That is a higher need than that one. Take time. Daily, and I mean daily. You know, I've heard many people say, and I understand it, that I don't know how I'm going to cope with six months. Listen, neither do I. But here's how I am coping with it. I'm just taking each day at a time. Why? Because his mercies are new every morning. He only gives me enough manna for each day. And so every day... I need to spend time with Jesus. I only get enough food for the day. And truth is, so do you. Together, we take each day at a time. Moses himself, when he was spending time with God, his face radiated with light, but quite clearly, it dimmed as time went on. And we're just the same. When we spend time with the Lord, people can tell. We can tell. But when we move away from him, when we do other things, that has consequences too. Brothers and sisters, I urge you, find time daily to behold the Lord Jesus Christ, to behold his glory. Why? Because you always become like what you behold. And so I want to urge you then to turn your eyes to Jesus. He will help you to become like him. And here's all you need to do. Turn your eyes to him. Look at him. Every day, stop and stare and gaze and meditate and delight yourself in him. Unhurried, unbusied. Just stop and stare and behold. And you will become more like him. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you from this, for this lesson from a shining face. Lord, I thank you for its simplicity. I thank you for opening our eyes to the reality that we do become like that which we behold. Lord, you forgive us in this season then where we are so tempted to 
be plugged into the news 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Lord, you'd help us to understand that if that's what we behold, that's what we'll become like, troubled and exhausted and anxious. But when we stop and we look at you, when we behold your mercy and splendor, and greatness, and goodness, and majesty, and sovereignty. Oh my, how the storm of our heart stills. So Lord, help us to turn our eyes daily to you. Help us to stop and stare at you. Help us to be like Mary, who chose the good portion and sat at your feet. Lord, would our lives be reflective of you as we spend time with you. Thank you for this invitation. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace.